This week's parsha is Parshas Vayishlach. And the Torah tells us something very interesting about the order of the placement of the different parts of Yaakov Avinu's camp as they were preparing for the encounter with Esav. And the Pasuk says in Parak Lamed Gimel Pasuk Beis, Vayasem es hashvachas v'sialdeyan rishayna. The first to be put in this order of position was the shvachas. The shvachas and their children, they were the first in line when greeting Esav. Leah and her children were Achrainim. They were the last. And then Vias Rachel, Vias Yosef, Achrainim. And then Yosef and Rachel were the last. Very strange pasuk. If you and I were writing the pasuk, I think we would write that the first ones were the Shvachas, the Aldeyan. The second ones, or the middle ones, were Leah v'Yiladeha, Leah and her children. And then Rachel v'Yiladeha and Yosef, Acharonim, they are the last. But for some strange reason, the Pasuk describes the middle one, Leah and her children, as being Acharonim as well. So there's the first and then there is the Achrainim, and then there is Achrainim. What's Pshat in this Pasuk? So, the Taisus Yantif, who wrote a master commentary on Mishnayis, if you look in Demai, in his Pirish on Demai, in Parak Zion Mishnah Gimel, he addresses this. And he says that it's a strange thing that the middle place is referred to as Achreinim, even though there's going to be an Achrein Achreim, even though there's going to really be a third place, but the second place we're considering last as well. And the answer, he says, is because everything is relative. Relative to the first place, the second place is Achrein. It's all, everything is relative. So the second place people, Leah Vilada, is Achrainim because Klape the Shvaches, it's true, they are Achrainim. And it's also true that Rachel Vilada were Achrainim relative to Leah Vilada. That's how he says, is the Pshat, the Taisus Yantif. And he says, I heard a nice riot to this. He says that. There are a lot of people that question a pasuk in Chagai. You know, there's always, there's always been people that are trying to prove that there's no Jewish Mashiach and that there's not going to be chas v'shalem, uh, lava in a bayashlishi, and they want to marshal a, a proof from a pasuk in Chagai. The pasuk in Chagai in Perak Bey's pasuk test Describing the Bayesheni, it says that the honor, the glory of this, of this bias, this house, which is the Achrein, is going to be greater than the first, than the first bias. It's going to be a much grander house, a much grander temple, describing it as Bayes Achrein. So all of the people that want to deny Mashiach, 
and deny whatever they want to deny. They say, ah, beautiful, we have a Pasuk in Chagai that says that the bias Shani is the bias Acher, and that means there's not going to be a bias Shlishi. Stop thinking that there's going to be Mashiach or the bias Shlishi. No, because it's the Pasuk in Nach describes the bias Shani as being the bias Acherin. It's the last house, there's no more after. Zaktataisis Yantim, no. You see from our Pasuk here that Acherin doesn't mean the last. Acherin can mean the second also, because relative to the first, it's Acherin. It's a relative Acherin. It doesn't have to be an absolute Acherin. It doesn't have to be the last stop on the train. The middle stop on the train is also considered Acherin relative to the first stop. It's a ladder stop. It's not the last, but it's a ladder. And then the Taisis Yantiv says, and I want to bring another Raya to this, because if you look in the early conversations between the Rabbeinu Shalom and Meshra Rabbeinu, when he was trying to um, get Meshra Rabbeinu to lead Klai Yisrael and to prove to Klai Yisrael that he was the bona fide representative that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was sending as the leader of Klai Yisrael, he says, I'm going to send you two signs. There's going to be two signs. One is involving a snake, and one is that your hand is going to um, be mitzaras kasheleg. You're going to have leprosy on your hands, and you're going to put your hand back in, and it's going to be clear. Those are the two signs. And the Pasuk says, in Parak Dalit and Sefer Shemais, V'hayam lo yamin alocha. And if they don't believe you, V'lo yishmo l'kayla ais ha'acharayin, if they don't believe your first sign, they're going to believe your second sign. Klai Yisrael will, will believe you by the Klai Yisrael. The second, he doesn't say the second though, it says the last sign. And then, And if they don't believe the first or the second, then, you're going to take some water from the Nile, from the river, and you're going, and it's going to become blood. Again, says the Taisa Sound, if you see this concept, that the Lushan of seconds could sometimes be referred to as the Achrein. Beautiful. So we have a Pasuk in this week's Parsha that says that Achreinim, describing num- the number two position as being Achreinim, Leah Biladel, we're Achreinim, even though there's going to be a third, third spot. We have a Pasuk in Chagai, Bayes Achreinim, even though it's only the Bayes Sheni, and Mitzvah Hashem, there will be a Bayes Shlishi. But Bayes Achreinim does not mean the last, it means it could sometimes be used as the second. And this final raya that the Taisus Yanta brings from the fact that there was a description of the second ice that was given to Meshur Rabbeinu, the second sign as being the ice HaAcharein, and then HaKadosh Baruch says, and if they don't believe these two, I'm going to give you a third one to boot. So that's the Acharein. No, because the second sign is also considered to be an Acharein relative to the first. Just to cap off the Shtikol Tairah, comes along the Vilna Gain on the heels of this Taisus Yantif, and he says, and I have a remez to this. What's the remez? Because there's a Pasuk that says, in Shemaisi Yadalad, by the Karban Pesach, when the night of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, we went into our houses, and we put Dam on the doorposts, 
the Pasuk says, This blood that you're going to put on your doorpost on Seder night, that's going to be an ice al habatim. It's going to be a sign on your houses that you're Jewish and you have protection. HaKadosh Baruch is going to jump over, pass over your Jewish home. That's the Pshuta Shomikra. But based on what the Taisus Yantiv says, it might also be a remez to this Yisayi. Vahaya hadam, the dam, meaning the dam that HaKadosh Baruch Hu described as being the, the last sign, even though there was already a, the second, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu described as Achrein. So you see from there that what? That the Lashon of Achrein could be used to mean second, and not only Mamish the last, but the relative last. That's going to be la'ais al-abatim. That's going to be used as a sign to prove that there's going to be a bayashlishi. The batim, the, the base amikdash, you're going to know that there's a third bias. And don't get despondent when you see this pasuk in Chagai that describes the second bias as the bias achrein, because the dam is going to prove Alabatim, that there's going to be a third base on Mikdash, that even when something is described as Achrein, Achrein could very easily be, dis- be used as number two slot, even though there's a number three slot. Okay, so we have the Pasuk, we have Taisus Yantif that brings two proofs to this concept elsewhere. We have the Gra, which brings a beautiful remez to, the, to this whole thing to tie it up, that all of these things are together pointing in one direction. And that is that the Lashon Achrin, even though we like to believe up until this Shmuz that Achrin means last, <laughs> there ain't no way that Achrin means second, but here we see that Achrin could really also be number two. Because relative to number one, it's also Achrin. What I want to spend the remainder of the Shmuz discussing is what can we take from this Yisaid? Is there a Musar Haskell that we could take from this Yisaid that when you see a Lashen Achrein, it might also be number two? Why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu use in Lashen HaKadosh this concept that Achrein could not only mean last, it could also be Second, it could also be in the number two slot, could also be considered to be called an achrin. Why would that be? If in the English language that wouldn't fly, why does it fly in Lashna Kaidesh? Somebody would say that the silver medal winner in the, in the Olympics was, uh, you know, he got the last medal. That's not true. He's, he's in the middle. He's not the last. Oh, he's, he's the last of the first. Doesn't fly. Why in Lashna Kaidesh, which is the emistic Lashen, why is it so easy for us to accept that Achrein means the relative last? Why would the Pasuk, what's the Musar Haskell? What t- what's the takeaway from that? So here's what I was thinking, and I think it's a very critical yisait. A lot of times in life, and I think most of us are Bainanim. Bainanim. We're definitely considered Bainanim, Rashonim, Kippur. If I was standing here during Aserah Shemit Shuvah and I was saying, we would all accept we're Bainanim because if you look in the Svarim, 
the whole Avayda of Aser Simei Tshuva is for Beninim. The Tzadikim, the Rambam says, they're immediately inscribed in the Book of Life, and the Risham in the Book of Death. So what's, who's the rest of us? What do you need Aser Simei Tshuva for? What do you need this Avayda? Rashana, we're done already. What do you need the 10 days of Tshuva to Yom Kippur? For Beninim. Because we're all, in a sense, Beninim. There's always going to be somebody on top of us. There's always going to be somebody greater in any field. It's just a reality, unless you're Mamish, you know, the king of the heap. If you're, you know, the president of the United States, or you're Jeff Bezos, or you're, uh, so whatever, you know, you're Chaim Kanievsky, Lavdil. You know, there's always going to be people that are greater than you. On the other hand, there's always going to be people that are lower than you. Think about Shir. Think about your in Yeshiva. There's no guys in Yeshiva that are better than you in learning? There are. There's no guys that are weaker than you in learning? Of course there are. So we're sort of stuck. Not stuck. That's just the reality. In life, we're going to be in the middle. We're in the middle. Being that that's 100% true that generally there will always be somebody that's greater than me and always somebody that's weaker than me. Now the question is, what's my perspective? As the number two, as the middle guy, in whatever field it is, if it's in learning, if it's in tzedakah giving, if it's in chesed, if it's in, uh, if it's in business, or whatever it is, what's my perspective? Being in the middle. Do I look up or do I look down? Do I look at myself as being complacent, resting on my laurels because, look, there are so many people that are lower than me. I don't have to learn more. I don't have to be a bigger master because there are so many guys in the dorm that hardly learn a thing. So relative to them, I'm doing quite fine. I'm good. Now, saying that is just basically stroking our own egos because... We know also at the same time that there are people that are in the base medrash that are far bigger masmidim than we are. Or they're working much harder to get sheer than we are. But we say to ourselves, that's okay, because relative to the people below us, we're fine. I wake up for davening four days a week. I'm happy because my roommate or whatever, a lot of guys in yeshiva, they're not waking up at all. Or they're waking up two days a week. I, there are guys that are waking up seven days a week. I, but that, that, you know, they're from, but I'm, I'm happy where I am because relative to the people below me, I'm okay. As long as I'm doing better than the guys beneath me, I'm satisfied. I'm ecstatic. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need more. I don't need to be the number one. I'm happy that I'm where I am because I'm better than so many other people. That's the way most of us operate. That's the way most of us operate. We look beneath us and we're smug and we're happy because we're greater than a lot of other people. The Dubna Magid, in fact, once said a, a great mashal. He said that once upon a time there was a, a very wealthy Yid with a daughter that he needed to marry off. And so he went to a top yeshiva and he approached the Rosh Hashiva and he said, I need your biggest masmid. I want my daughter to marry a super Talmud Chacham. And a great masmid, something that really has a tremendous hasmada, zitzvah, and I'm going to support him for X number of years. It's, 
he, he could just sit in my own, I'm going to give him a house in my city where I live, and he's going to sit and learn, steig away, and it's going to be a beautiful shidduch. So Itaka gave him, for his daughter to marry, a, a boy that learned 18 hours a day, a tremendous master. And then after the chasna, he moves him, as promised, into his little shtetl, where he lived, and he's expecting his son-in-law to sit in the base medish 18 hours a day and steig away, as, he, as was the arrangement. But what happens is that the first week in this little shtetl, this is a, a little shtetl that if they were lucky, the, you know, the people, the Balabatim, you know, learn maybe 10 minutes a day or 15, 20 minutes a day. It was a little, little darf, a little a little hamlet. There was no competition for this guy. It wasn't like the days in his yeshiva. So the first week back after Shavu Brachas, it went from 18 hours down to 17 hours a day. And then it went to 15 hours. Before you knew it, he was like learning like three hours a day. Now three hours a day is very nice, but not, that wasn't the ex- expectation. And the Shver didn't know exactly what to say because he didn't want to create Shalom Bayez problems. But on the other hand, you know, he wasn't keeping his part of the bargain or the, the assumed bargain. And he approaches him very gingerly and he says, you know, I love you and I see my daughter is very happy, but let me ask you a question. When you were in yeshiva, you were learning 18 hours a day. You were the masman of the yeshiva. That's why I agreed to, to let the shidduch go through. And now you're here and you're learning three hours a day? My high, like well, what's going on? So this son-in-law looks incredulously at his shvera and says, what do, you, what do you care? He says, I'm still learning three times as much as anyone else in this city. Look at, look at everybody else. Nobody else is learning at all. Or they're learning uh, you know, a few minutes a day. They go to a kitzvah that the rabbi gives. You're, you're complaining? I'm learning three hours a day. Nobody even comes close to me in this city. And the shvera says, do you think that I agreed for my daughter to marry you based on, on the, the people living in this little shtetl, in this little dorp, in this little hamlet. That's not what I meant. I wanted you to, because, because that's objectively what you should be doing. You should be learning 18 hours a day, not subjectively being a masmid relative to the people Beneath you, of course, they, you know, obviously the people here, they're not expected to, to learn that much. We knew that they're not learning that. What are you comparing yourself to them? Compare yourself to the guys in yeshiva where you came from. And that's exactly human nature. That's the way we operate. Very rare is it that if somebody is somewhere that he is, his, his psyche doesn't immediately size up the situation and make himself feel good over the fact that he is relatively in a good position. Relatively, he's better than so many people. And so that's good. I'm happy. I'm happy. If I'm davening a little better, if I'm coming to more davening than more people, if I'm come to shear more days than, than a lot of the guys in the shear, if I give a little bit more tzedakah than everybody else around me, if I'm, that's fine. <laughs> but you, but you could afford much more. I don't, I don't think about it that way. I'm giving a lot of money, and you're not. That's all that matters to me. That's the way we are. There's only one time, parenthetically, that we don't do this. We do this when it comes to ruchnis. 
but we don't do it when it comes to Gashmias. Very few people say, you know what, I'm happy, you know, in a two-bedroom apartment because there are so many people in a one-bedroom apartment. You want to get that house. You look at the guy that's building a house, I want that. You're driving like a, a car. Your car is maybe relatively nicer than a lot of other people, but then the guy next to you buys a Tesla. You want the Tesla. Now, you might, I'm talking to Bnei Terrace, you're probably, probably looking at me like, no, you got the wrong guy. I really don't want the Tesla. Okay, but I'm talking in the world. That's the way it is. A guy's making a million dollars a year. I want to make a million dollars a year also. When it comes to Ruchnius, I want the guy, you know, he's wearing a nicer suit than I am. I want that nicer suit. I want that nicer uh, vacation. I want that nicer boat. I want whatever it is. I, I, people, when it comes to Gashmias, I do look at higher people. I don't say, well, you know, I'm better than many other people. A lot of people look up to the people in the higher strata and say, that's what I'm shooting for. When it comes to Ruchnius, we sort of tend to be happy that we're better than the people beneath us. Zak the Shla Kaddish, the Shla Kaddish says, that's why it says, Bashamayim Mimal, the Alaaretz Mitachas. We say that in Aleinu. That literally what that means is that, that Hashem is the God, Bashamayim Mavaretz Mitachas, all over the world, up, down, all around, Nakadish Barchu is the king. But Zak the Shla, listen to the Shla. Bashamayim, when it comes to Ruchniyastik of things, Mimal. There you should look to the people that are higher than you. Look to the bigger Masmidim. Look to the bigger Lamdanim. Look to the bigger Eivdei Hashem. Try to shoot for the stars when it comes to Bashamayim, when it comes to Ruchniyas things. Uva Aretz, when it comes to Gashmiyas things, Mitachas. Then you should be Mistapik. Be happy, Baruch Hashem, I have a car. There are so many people that don't have a car. I have a car. I, it's a jalopy. That's fine, I don't care. That's how you should operate. When it comes to Ruchnius, don't be satisfied. Try to always scale new heights. Don't be mistapic when it comes to Ruchnius. Look up. Look to the people above you and try to say, I'm going to take him down. I want to be a bigger massman. I'm not going to leave the base medrash at night until he's fast asleep. When it comes to Gashmius, Mitachas. Then look at the people below and say, Baruch Hashem, I'm happy. I don't need a bigger salary. I don't need a bigger car. I don't need a bigger house. Because I'm doing better than so many other people. So I'm good. I'm mystopic with what I have and I'm grateful for what I have. That's the proper hashkafa. But Lemaisa, that's not what we do. Lemaisa, it's the opposite. And I believe that this is the aside perhaps, that we could take as a Musa Haskell from this vart that we started with this morning. When it says achreinim, and it's referring to the middle, leyev es yelada achreinim, and we ask, what do you mean achreinim? They're not the last, they're just the middle. Call it what it is, it's the middle. They're not, why are you saying that they're last? Because when you're in the middle, and we're all in the middle, when there are people that are above you and people below you, what are you doing? How do you perceive yourself? Do you perceive yourself as, oh, I'm, I'm a Rishain to the Achreinim? I'm better than all the people beneath me. Or do you look at yourself as an Achreinim? I'm the, I'm the bottom of the Rishainim. 
There are so many people that are better. I'm on the, the bottom rung of that. I want to get higher. If you're in the middle of shear, if you're in the middle slot in shear, there are guys better than you. And I'm not talking about natural kishin. I'm talking about asmada and how much you work. You're in the middle. You're in the, you're in the 50% range. Look at yourself as you are the lower tier of the, of the top tier of shear. You're the bottom of the top tier of shear. Because if you look at yourself as being the top tier of the lower part of the shear, you ain't going to steig. You're always going to say, I'm good, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, there are so many people coming over to me, ask me questions on shear, or ask me questions on the Gemara. Obviously, I'm holding, I'm good. I, there are people, oh, whatever, they're, they're in a different league, but I, I'm fine where I am. You will never be matzliach that way. You will never climb higher because you'll always be complacent in where you're positioned. When the Lashna Kedesh says that the second slot is achreinim, perhaps what it's teaching us is that when we're in that second slot, we're always supposed to look at ourselves as the achreinim to the rishainim. Don't look at yourself like you would naturally do as the beginning, as the higher over the people beneath you, but rather as the lower, as the achreinim. I'm, I'm looking at myself not as like greater than people, I'm looking at myself as the lower rung of the Rishainim, as the, the Achreinim to the Rishainim. I, there are Achreinim beneath me. That's, that, that's, that's a different department. That's not what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at the people below. I'm looking at myself constantly as an Achreinim to the Rishainim. And when you do that, you're going to be hungry to accomplish so much because you want to be the Rishainim to the Rishainim. There's a Misa that's told about Rav Meir Simcha, the Meshachachma, that he was a, he had a, he was the Rav of Devinsk, of course, together with the Ragachavar, and he didn't have a formal yeshiva, but he had a base medrash, and there were Talmidim there, and one of the Talmidim he loved so much, had a special relationship with one of the Talmidim, and on Rosh Hashanah night, they had all of the Talmidim around the table by Rameir Simcha's house. And this Talmud was there as well. He was sitting at the other end of the table. Rameir Simcha was on one end of the table. This Talmud was on the other end of the table. And Rameir Simcha's Rebetzin gave to each of the Talmidim and Rameir Simcha, anyone around the table, Rosh Hashanah night. One of the Simonim is, of course, the head of a fish. And everybody was supposed to go around the table and take a little bit of the the, the meat of the head of the fish and say the and everybody else would answer Amin. So everybody had the fish head on their plate and suddenly they noticed that this Talmud had for some reason, the Rebetzin for some, it was a mistake, but she put the tail of a fish instead of the head of the fish. And so as the as it was his turn to make his Yeratzin, all eyes were on him because suddenly they noticed that he didn't have the head of the fish, he had the tail. All eyes, including Rav Meir Simcha, everybody was like trained on this Talmud who was so beloved, like a very special Talmud, to see what he would do. You can't make a Yeratzin Shiel Eresh Lezana because he has a Zanav. He takes some of the meat from the, head of the, fi- from the tail of the fish on his fork he looks squarely at Rav Meir Simcha and he says, 
Like the Mishnah says, you should be the tail of the lion. It's much better to be the tail of the lion than the head of the shualim, of the fox. And what he meant was that I'm very happy being a tail to Rameir Simcha. If I could be mevatel myself to the great Rishon, to the great Rameir Simcha, and I'm here to mevatel myself, that's fine, I'm perfectly, that's where I want to be. That's the, I don't want to be a, a, a head. If it's a head of, 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 of Shualim, what's the chap of being the top of, of, of the lower people? I would rather be the lower of the head, of the, uh, the tail to the, to the lion. And Rameir Simcha had such hanah that he kissed him and he invited him to sit all the way up front with him. That's the maila of being an achrein, even when you're in the middle. To always be hungry, to always want to steig more, to never say, well, this is good enough for me, I'm good, I'm, you know, and this, I'm, I'm the uh, biggest, fi- I'm a big fish in a small pond. It's better to be a small fish in a big pond than a big fish, even though we're much happier, initially at least, when we're a big fish in a small pond. Sometimes we settle to be in a, in a shear that's a little beneath us, our level. We know we could work harder and be in a, in a higher level shear, but we're sort of happy being a lower level shear because in the lower level shear, we're number one. It's great. It's a great feeling to be king, but we're denying at the same time that we could do better. So instead, we're happy being a Rishayin Lachrainim instead of really wanting to understand ourselves as being an Achrain Lachrainim. It's better to be sometimes in a higher level shear and now you're put in a position that you really have to work hard to plow ahead and to grow and really you know, work out your muscles in Ruchnias than to be you know, smug sitting, on, you know, sitting like this the whole day in shear because you cap it so easily. There's something wrong. Sometimes it's true for yeshivas also. Sometimes we're in yeshiva that's not up to what we could be doing and, you know, we settle for, uh, with, with, for mediocrity. Say, well, in this yeshiva, I'm good enough, I'm, I'm, I'm like the king in this yeshiva. Yeah, go to, go to Panovich and see how, how you fare over there. Go to Lakewood, see, see if you're still a big knocker there. Sometimes in a smaller yeshiva or in a lower level yeshiva, you're, you know, you could stay there for years and you could be the hush of a guy there, but you're not really challenging yourself. That's the way it is in life. In, Ruchni, in the world of Ruchnius, it's so important to consider yourself, if you're a Benini, to consider yourself as, as the last of the upper rung, as opposed to the, the top of the, the people below, uh, beneath you. When I was a kid, there was a, uh, a very famous ad campaign. You can learn a lot. When I was in college, I took a, a lot of marketing courses because I, I really, if I wouldn't be a mashkiach, I think I'd be in, in advertising. I hope that didn't disappoint anyone. But advertising, there's, some, there's so much chachma in marketing and advertising and to present and how to package things in the right way. There's a lot of chachma in that. It's a whole field. It's not random. Everything that you, everything that you, when you come into any supermarket, any drugstore, where things are positioned. Something, I just read recently something very interesting that when you come into, let's say, Costco, what do you see first when you come into Costco? Or what should you not be looking at first? There's like these huge, big ticket items, like huge TV screens. 
right? Like the, the plasma TVs, right? That's what hits you right when you come in. And you think that's such a strange place to put it. Why don't you put it in the back of the store? They did studies. They found out that psychologically, when people walk past very expensive items and they say, oh, I can't afford that, but suddenly they feel like flush with money because look at, I just saved $2,000 for not buying that TV. Now I got like $2,000 in my pocket. Let's burn, you know, it's burning a hole in my pocket. That theoretic phantom $2,000 I don't really have anyway, but you feel like flush with cash because you over, there's, everything is chachma. That's why in a drugstore, for instance, where is the pharmacy section of any drugstore? Think about it. It's always in the back of the store. Now, I go into a drugstore to get my drugs, to get my, to get my medicine, right? That's why I'm coming. I'm not get, but they make you pass all of the other stuff, you know, all of the, the stuff that you don't really necessarily need. But as you're passing it, you're going to maybe throw that into your card as well. There is, everything is, is psychology, 99 cents, you know, that's an old one. They did studies. Why is, why is this thing 99 cents, 499, 699, or by a car, 24,999? What's, what's up with the nines? Psychologically, if a car is $24,999, that's a lot cheaper than if it's $25,000. That dollar is very, very, it seems insignificant. It's very significant. If it's still in the $24,000 range, I think I could do that. If it's 25,000, oh, $25, I can't do that. If something is 99 cents in a store, I could do that. That's why they have 99 cent stores, because something 99 cents, I can handle 99 cents. If something a dollar nine, I, I don't know if I want to do that. It means I have to pull out two dollars from my, it's just, uh, There is always a very big race in the rental car space. Who is, who is the dominant player in rental car companies? So today, it's a different, it's a third person, a third company. But in the, when I was growing up, there were two dominant players when you had to rent a car. There was Hertz and there was Avis. I think they're both maybe out of business. Uh, they're both flat. It's a very hard business today, rent a cars, because, you know, with COVID especially. But even that, even, you know, with Ubers and whatever, it's so much cheaper just to Uber than to, uh, than to actually rent a car and insurance. It's just not to die for most people anymore. In any event, there was two dominant players. Hertz was always number one. They were number one. And they used to brag about it. They were, we're number one. That was their slogan. Hertz, we're number one. Now, Avis had to figure out a campaign on their own. What do we do? We're number two? Like, no one's with number, no one's to, 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 to hitch their wagon literally to, a, to number two. So listen to the guinness that the ad agency came up with for Avis. They didn't say we're number two because then you're a schwanz, you're a, you're a zanov. Their advertising was, Avis, we try harder. Now, as soon as people heard that, they said, ah, I like that. That means that they're not, they don't feel so arrogant in their, in their slot of, you know, they can't give us dirty ashtrays and I don't want cars that smell of smoke and, you know, and, 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 and they have to try hard. They want to make it to number one. So they're really going to work hard. That means they're going to clean the car better. They're going to give me better service, better price. They're going to make it easier for me at checkout. They're going to make sure the car that I want is available when I get to the, to the counter in the airport. They're not going to settle. They're not, they're not complacent. They're not, 
they're not just going to be happy and smug in their number one position. They're trying hard. They're rolling up their sleeves. They want to make it to number one. It's ka'inus, that. I don't know if you appreciate it, but that's, it's such ka'inus. And listen to what happened. After they came up with this strategy, originally the gap was 61 to 29 in terms of popularity of, of Hertz over Avis. 69, 61 to 29. After this ad campaign, you think that, you know, these ad campaigns are Dram Shalmabakach. You see what happens? It went from 49 to 36. Meaning Hertz was still in the lead, but their lead shrunk so much that the people at Hertz began to get scared that eventually they would have to be the one with the ad campaign that we try harder because they were going to slip into the number two position. But that's what it is. When you're in Ahrein, when you're in second place, and you look at yourself as being the Ahrein to the Rishon, I'm not saying, well, you know, there's five major car, car rental companies. We're number two. That's not bad. We're still better than number three, number four, number five. We're better than budget and dollar and, and, and Alamo. We're better than all of that. No, no, no. We're shooting for the top. We're looking at ourselves as number two to the number one. We're not looking beneath us. We're looking up and we're saying we're going to try harder because we want to overtake that number one. We want to get to be number one ourselves. That's the way we should be wiring our brains and our attitudes in life. Don't look beneath you. Don't say, well, I'm better than so many people. Look up and say, I'm shoot, I want to try harder to get to, get to number one. Achreinim. I look at myself as a zan of la'arayas. I'm an achrein to the rishainim. I, but there's achreinim, that's true. But I want to look at myself as an achrein relative to the rishainim because I'm just looking up. I'm not looking down because when you look down, then you start feeling arrogant and, and smug and, and, and complacent. And there's nothing worse in life than being complacent, complacent and stuck where you are. Because you feel, oh, I'm good enough. It's good enough? It's not good enough. I want to end with a Misa. There's a... There was a, um, a Chavar Knesset for the Haredi parties in Eretz Yisrael in the early years of Eretz Yisrael in the Medina. The Agoda had a representative very famous in Eretz Yisrael, not as famous in America. His name was Shlema Lawrence. Now, if you don't know that name, maybe you know his Sefer. There's a Sefer that was put out in the last few years. In Hebrew, it's called B'mechitzasam. And in English, it's called In Their Shadows, published by Feldheim, an excellent work. It was his, like, sort of autobiography, in a sense, his relationship with G'dayli Yisrael, who were really his bosses. He had to represent the Das Taira and the Knesset. He had to go to the Chazanish, and he spent you know, an incredible amount of time getting the hashkafas of the Chazanish and Rav Shach and the Briskarov. That's volume number one. Volume number two is all the other G'dayim that he dealt with and personal stories and vignettes that are very valuable because it's like a first, it's, it's a primary source. He's not writing about G'dayim that he read about somewhere else. He's, these were his personal encounters with G'dayim that Many of these stories have never been published anywhere else. And he was nifter a few years ago, but 
He was a tremendous, tremendous person in Eretz Yisrael. Very famous. Had dealings with Ben Gurion and and you know many of the great political leaders in Eretz Yisrael, which he writes about in full. But that was of Shlomo Lawrence. Now, when he retired, he wanted to go back to learning. When he retired from the Knesset, he decided he wanted to go back to learning, and he he lived in in Matistarf. And the yeshiva and Matis of Rosh Scheinberg's yeshiva is Torah R. So he's going to, that's where he's going to basically sit and learn a nice chunk of the day, become a yeshiva bacher, a kailo younger man again. And he's very excited about that. When he came into Torah R, of Scheinberg, Rav Chaim Pincha Scheinberg, he invited him to sit up on the Mizrach wall of the base Medrash, which is the, you know, the wall where the Rosh Yeshiva and the Rabbeim sit. And as a, just, he didn't feel that this Chashava person who represented Klai Yisrael, who was liaison between G'dayli Yisrael and Knesset, representing so many Yidin, that he shouldn't sit stand with Hamaynam, he should be given a position in the base medrash of Kavit, and he set up like for him a shtender and a, and a chair, and he invited him to sit on the, on the front wall of the base medrash. And he really didn't want to, and he was, you know, but... Rav Scheinberg convinced him that it was the appropriate thing to do, and that's what he did. One Shabbos morning, Rav Shleim Lawrence comes into Torah Ar Beis Medrash, and he was there early, so he took his Gemara, and he started learning by his tender up front. And there was an Avrech, an older Avrech, a Kailah guy that's you know, probably learning in Torah Ar maybe 20 years, but he never, he's not sitting on the Mizrach, but never got a position in the yeshiva. He's sitting uh, you know, with everybody else. And he goes up to Rabbi Shlema Lawrence, he approaches the Shtender, and he says, you know, you really should not be sitting here. You have no place here. This is a place that's reserved for the Rosh Yeshiva, for the Rabbeim, for the Rabbanim. It's not a place for you. You're a, you know, you're a balabas. You're a person that, uh, you know, you're an askin. That's what you say. You're an askin. You're a person that you're, you're doing tzachitzibah. Very nice. You don't, you don't belong here on the Mizrach band. This is where the Rashivas and, and he was like saying it out loud. It was a little embarrassing for Shlem and Lawrence. Shlem and Lawrence was not a small person. Shlem Lawrence was, was a great person. You don't speak to Rav Shlomo Lawrence. Like, this is a man that dealt with the Chazin Ish and, and with Rav Shach and Briskarov. He had Shemush by these people for decades. And this Avrech was who knows who, but like he's... Anyway, and because of that, he closes Gemara and he just basically sat with Amaynam and that's what he did. He went home after davening Rav Shlomo Lawrence to his house and his son... Happened to know one of his sons. He's today a, a rabbi in Kaltaira. At the time, I think he was like a Shalomeshim in Kaltaira. He has very chash of his sons of Shlomo Lawrence. Wrote Svarim on Eger's Taira. Very, very chash of a family he has. One of his sons married Rav Shlomo Zaman's granddaughter. Anyway, not a small person at all. He had his son over for lunch with his family at, at the Suda by day. And... Um, and after the meal was over, they retired to the, to the couch in the living room. And Rav Shem Lawrence told his son what he didn't want to mention by the meal. He told him about this story. And he said, do me a favor. I want to, I want, I want to ask you a favor. Find out who that Avrech is. 
and see what his, what his needs are. Obviously, if he came over to me and he was telling me that, it's not a normal thing to do. He's obviously, he's got some issues that he's not dealing with well. I want you to find out what those issues are and let me know. If he needs money, maybe he's under financial stress and that's what got to him until he cracked that he would come over to me and start speaking to me that way, then I'm going to get him the money. If he needs a position, I'll try to get him. But whatever he needs, find out what he needs. And I'm going, to, I'm going to try as best I can to help him out. That's the end of the story. And I was thinking to myself, how do you become that? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all had that attitude that like somebody sort of embarrasses us, somebody causes us grief, and instead of, instead of berating him, instead of like trying to do him in and kill the guy, I want to like, make him healthy, I want to I make him whole. How do you get to that? Like, Rav Shemin Lawrence is not a, he wasn't like, like a, a, you know, like a little person. He was a, a very major person. And I think the answer is that he always looked at himself as being a representative of Klal Yisrael, and he was mevatil himself to the G'daylam. Meaning, there are Rishayinim. There are Rishayinim in the world. There are Rishayinim. Now, I'm in the middle, and I'm, I'm, I'm really high up on the middle. Think about, think about being a Chavar Knesset. There's a hundred Chavar Knesset, and you can look at yourself, I'm greater than the hundreds of thousands of Charedim that I'm representing. I'm, the, I'm, I'm in the newspaper every day. You don't talk to me that way. He never looked at himself that way, though. He looked at himself as being a zon of the Arayas. I'm a tail of the Arayas. I'm a tail to the Chazinish, to the Briskarov, to Rav Shlomizalman, to Rav Shach, to, to Rav Ozner, to Amevatel myself to them. I'm an Achrein. Uh, he's a pretty high up, highly placed Achrein. But he was an Achrein in his own eyes. He was always trying to get greater. He didn't look down on people because he never looked down. He looked up. If you're always looking up in life to the people higher than you, then you're in a very good position in life. The problems all start when we start looking down on other people. You get a position of power, you become a rub, you become a CEO, you, become a, uh, you get a promotion in whatever way. Now you look down and here beneath you and you stop looking up, you start looking down. That's a dangerous position. You don't want to be a Rishon Lachrenim. You will always want to be an Achrein Lurishainim. You want to look up constantly, never look down. Except in Gashmias. But in Ruchnias, you always want to be looking higher. Position yourself as an Achrein to the Rishainim and you're safe. Rav Shemelarns didn't look at that Avrech as being, you know, who are you? Like, I don't even have to deal with you. You're talking to me like that? That's how we might look at ourselves because we think of ourselves with our ego that we're, you know, we're above people. He looked at himself as below people. And therefore, when there was an Avrech that did that, he didn't, he didn't feel offended. He says, I don't know, what, what can I do to help you? Obviously, I have a problem. I want to help you. I'm a shliach derechmana to help people. That's what I am. I, I want to help you. I'm not over you. I'm not lording over you. I'm, I'm, beneath, I'm beneath people. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to, to be greater than anybody. When a person has that attitude, you'll always better yourself. You'll always be a greater Tamar Chacham. You'll always be a greater Eved Hashem. 
because you're always understanding the importance of looking up. When it comes to Ruchni Yistika endeavors, always look higher. Always consider yourself an Achren when you're in the middle, and that way you'll always become greater and greater and go. La'ela, Ola'ela. I want to wish everybody a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. Thank you.